Hey, if you're a workplace coach or work in HR or anyone working with challenging conflict situations at work, we've created a coaching method that any coach can learn. The goal of New Ways for Work Coaching is to help employees or whoever is taking it to learn personal relationship skills for productive relationships. Essentially, it gives employees a chance to learn new skills and to change before big decisions are made about their employment. Sometimes they're just lacking skills and New Ways will teach them. If you'd like to know more about it, we offer our New Ways for Work coaching training two to three times a year. And these trainings are a combination of on-demand, which you can watch 24-7, and Zoom training with Sherilyn Knapp and Bill Eddy on the on-demand portions. You'll find the link for this in the show notes below. Sign up at highconflictinstitute.com forward slash upcoming dash courses or email us at info at highconflictinstitute.com. Welcome to It's All Your Fault on True Story FM, the one and only podcast dedicated to helping you identify and deal with the most challenging human interactions, those with someone who may have a high-conflict personality. I'm Megan Hunter, and I'm here with my co-host, Bill Eddy. Hi, everybody. We are the co-founders of the High Conflict Institute in San Diego, California. In this episode, we're talking about what seems to be a favorite topic narcissists. Today we'll talk about how they divide people and what you can do about it. But first, a couple of notes. If you have a question about high conflict situations or people, send them to podcast at highconflictinstitute.com or on our website at highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast, where you'll find the show notes and links as well. And please give us a rate or review and tell your friends, colleagues, or family about us, especially if they're dealing with a high conflict situation. We're very grateful. Now let's talk about the great divide, or I mean the great dividers. (laughs) If you aren't certain whether you've ever met a narcissist, think back to an interaction in which you went away feeling small or inadequate or even insecure and maybe kind of doubting yourself. Um, You may have been around someone with narcissism. They're often sort of puffed up about themselves and and get triggered when they aren't getting the attention they think they deserve or are entitled to. Then they go into action, making those around them feel small. (laughs) But did you know that they are also the great dividers? Although it may sound straightforward, it's often confusing to people around them because they can be the life of the party, really bringing people together which is quite opposite, obviously, to being a divider. But so let's take, for example, a person who thinks of himself as a protector, a provider, a uniter in life and family, business or community. Until that day comes when someone stands up to him and says, you're a narcissist, you're a bully, you're a jerk, you're an a-hole. It's entirely shocking to him, um, which can be so hard to compute in your own mind as it's so obvious to you. Suddenly his anxiety skyrockets and you are suddenly shifted from the good list to the bad list in his mind, which is often followed with a distortion campaign against you. It's all your fault and he will let everyone know it. And of course he'll say, I'm done. I'm out of here. You're out of my life. So, Bill, (laughs) does this sound familiar? 
Oh, this happens so much with people with narcissistic traits. What we see is they 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 turn on people that may give them realistic feedback, even helpful feedback. Someone says, you know, um, you didn't really um, serve in the military. Someone put that in their uh, resume, and they get hired for a job, and they say, you know what? We found out you you didn't really serve in the military. And they said, oh, well, I applied. And you say, yeah, but that's that's not what it says here. And so they get confronted on something, and then they get angry. And it's like, well, you're not so smart either, buddy. And and I know more about this than anybody else. And so what happens is they they see the world in terms of winners and losers, uh, superior people, inferior people. And that's this kind of con- chronic trait for them. But what happens is they can be very charming, seductive, like in an employment interview, in dating. They can be the life of the party, as you said. Um, And then after they get you to commit to them, whether it's in a dating way or you get married, something like that, then suddenly you find out they're bad-mouthing you. Somebody said, you know, you folks were late to the party, and so the narcissist says, well, you know, my wife, she's just, you know, she's just always late for things. And yet, you're his wife, and you're going, I'm not the reason we were late. And so, you you wonder, do I speak up? Do I let this slide? And suddenly, this knight in shining armor turns out to be someone who's constantly putting you down in public. And that's one of the things about narcissists. They're happy to insult the people close to them around other people. So we see this sense of division between, you know, us and them or winners and losers or superior and inferior. And it's just so predictable. It's just a question of when it's going to get started. And we see this in families. We see this in the workplace. We see this in communities. Of course, we see this in politics because narcissists are attracted to positions of power. And to get there, they're always putting other people down. You see them kind of uh, you talk about this in a job, and you see them working their way up an organization by stepping on the people that help them get to the position they're in. And now they step on them to get to a higher position. Mm. So they're very much dividers. Yeah, it, it uh, brings to mind a, a, a case I was kind of, uh, or a situation basically I was aware of, and um, within a family. And when something came to light that was available on, you know, publicly on the internet about the person who probably, you know, had some of these traits, um, and this person was confronted about it, it it just it immediately triggered that that fear of feeling inferior, and they went into attack mode, and the the great divide, <laughs> the dividing happened. Um, the distortion campaign. They just it seemed they couldn't tolerate that other people knew this information that wasn't so great about them, um, and it, it had to do basically with some unpaid. Uh, tax bills that are, you know, public information. Now, even though that was there, I think this person felt it wasn't 
anyone's business <laughs> to know. And when it did come to light, it was, it just it, it immediately, um, you know, I'm done. I'm out of this family. Uh, you're wrong. And I will prove that you're wrong and I'll turn everyone against you. That seems to be, you know, sort of that predictability that you're talking about, Bill. Um, so, you know, it's a family example, but you you mentioned the workplace and politics and um, and healthcare, which I I know uh, the term splitting uh, is where uh, came from the healthcare setting. So let's let's talk about that. I didn't become aware of that till I was working as a therapist, uh, clinical social worker in a psychiatric hospital, and one day one of the psychiatrists. Um, brought this article and he said it's about splitting and how we have to be careful we don't get hooked into seeing each other in a negative way if one of our patients tends to tell half of us tell half of us that we're wonderful and the other half are terrible so this was a fascinating dynamic and let me explain it uh, I'll try to be brief <laughs> but so what it is is Think of the narcissistic person, and there's also sometimes other like borderline personality can split people into all good, all bad, um, antisocial, can manipulate and knowingly say, hey, this person lied about you. Here's what are you going to do about it? But we see this a lot with narcissists. So here's an example. Narcissist says, say, a team that works. Uh, where I worked, I was a social worker. So there's a doctor, psychiatrist. So the, the narcissist tells me, Bill, you're so helpful. Oh, you're just so wonderful. I so appreciate everything you do. But you know, my doctor, my doctor is just rude. He's impatient. I, I think he's incompetent. And then, you know, whatever new discussion, next thing I know, I'm looking at that doctor a little differently. And I'm thinking, huh, I wonder, is he maybe, you know, rude, incompetent, and this and that? Next thing I know, this patient tells somebody else, you're really wonderful, but, but Bill Eddie's terrible. And so you start getting the divide get spread, and in a group, like a close-together-knit group working with a psychiatric patient, you know, a social worker, nurses, doctor, maybe occupational therapist with activities to help them gain confidence. You've got a team there, and you start turning them against each other because they're pumping you up with how wonderful you are, and they're pointing the finger at how terrible somebody else is. I once consulted um, with, a, with a university that had an issue uh, with – a program with a student that was saying they had special needs and half of the staff split half against the other half and half said we've got to be really easy on this person this person has these problems and the other half said no we're not helping this person unless we expect them to do more and help them grow that's what we're here for and you get those teams kind of start hating each other and I was asked to come in, and I explained splitting, and very quickly they said, oh, my goodness, that's what happened to us. And we need a better assessment of what this student needs because we're getting emotionally hooked rather than being objective about this. 
So that that was a good example. I think one other good example is the um, the O.J. Simpson trial, the criminal trial back in the 1990s, and that comes up every few years. There's a show or a documentary on that. And the prosecution lawyers and the defense lawyers grew to hate each other. They both filed uh, bar complaints that the other side was being unethical. Well, all those bar complaints got thrown out. But can you picture, was there anybody with narcissistic traits in that scenario? And were they able to, you know, turn people against each other? And that's a classic public example, because when people hate each other, that's emotional, that's not logical. And that's a sign of this splitting process. Yeah, it's so fascinating because I, I, as you were talking, it just kept, you know, the different images keep flashing in my mind or situations of, of the, of people, um, that, that do this and how predictable it is. And they're very intense in needing to tell someone to do that, you know, make that divide and turn others, um, maybe not even so much turn others against that person, but get people on, on their side, on your own side, right? Um, and never, as you say, connect the dots, right? Right. Uh, they just don't connect the dots back to their own behavior. And you see that narcissism just shine through. Like, you know, it's about me. I help that person by letting, you know, cutting them loose. <laughs> um, it's pretty interesting. So um, now let's kind of switch into how, you know, what can we do about this? Um, how do we address this, uh, you know, People with narcissistic traits or, you know, personalities so often get what they want because those around them are afraid to do anything about it. Yeah, I think people have to be prepared for this. I think education about this dynamic and that you're not getting divided over real issues. You're getting divided because there's a high conflict personality in the mix, often a narcissistic personality who's dividing People And so, you know, the number one thing is uh, check things out, you know, see, like that doctor, you know, the patient that said the doctor was rude and incompetent. Well, check out. What do you mean specifically by that? And and often what they'll say, like, well, he only spent five minutes with me today in the hospital unit. And you find out that that's a standard because he then spent 15 minutes reading the nurse's notes. He spent 10 minutes talking to the social worker. He did all of that. And so find out, is this really a problem or isn't this? And maybe the patient wants more time and maybe that can be addressed rather than assuming that the doctor is rude because they only had five minutes. So it's checking things out, not assuming things, and not assuming things about other people in the group. Go directly and find out. I once had a case with with a high-conflict or narcissistic person in it where the other lawyer and I, we were friendly, but her client said something that she had said about the case and about me. And I don't know why, but I thought, oh, and I acted on what that was as if it was true. And I told her I was angry that she did this thing. She says, I didn't do this thing. You should have checked with me. And I was like, oh. So checking things out 
is one of the things you can do about it. Also, checking out your own feelings. If you suddenly start having all or nothing feelings about somebody else, check that out because that may not be realistic, especially when you work as a team. You got to, you know, understand, see, is this really what's going on? Is this really what's thinking? Or do we have a narcissistic divider in our midst and how can we help that person? Because if they're like in a psychiatric hospital, they're there because they have a problem, is work through that problem. Don't treat them as all bad now. It's like, here's someone with an issue. But watch out for this dynamic, and you'll be surprised when you just recognizing it deflates its energy and you don't take it as personally and, and it doesn't gain as much power. Mm, I like that. Deflates its energy. <laughs> I always like to say you're either going to starve the fire or feed the fire, right? Mm. Um, and you can give it oxygen or you're not, and, and you get a choice in that. So so that I think those are really good ways to address it, particularly when you're, you know, dealing in person with someone, you know, you have to have that conversation or, uh, you know, but let's talk now and kind of switch into an example we see a lot, which is when a private email conversation becomes not so private, when the divider copies in someone else to make you look bad. Um, it typically includes, uh, again, you know, that making you look bad and an accusation that can be difficult to defend. So what can be done? You know, should you defend yourself? Should the person copied in respond in some way or leave it alone? Should the original recipient of the email respond, the one who's being accused? Well, this, of course, leads directly into our BIF method, brief, informative, friendly, and firm for emails. And the person who's addressed in the email um, most of the time it is helpful if they respond as long as they're brief, informative, friendly, and firm so they can clear something up. Um, I think of an example that we often use where one person uh, in a divorce addressed their co-parent in the divorce and copied in 20 family and friends. And they it was a criticism so the person who was addressed responded with a biff to the person that sent that, but then responded to the other 20 people and said, you know, you've gotten a personal communication here about our divorce. I hope you realize you don't need to get involved. Um, and if you have any questions about anything that's said here, feel free to contact me. Well, the reality is nobody contacted her because people don't want to get involved in other people's high-conflict divorce. And most people know that they're often not getting the full picture. And rather than try to get the full picture is to just kind of stay out of it and leave it as a question mark. I wonder what's happening. Don't jump to conclusions because one person said the other was being inappropriate. Uh, interesting. You know, we get asked a lot by attorneys um, about BIF responses when, you know, some accusations or allegations have been made. And, and you know, attorneys are trained to correct the record, you know, so it can be very tempting. Uh, so what would you recommend? I mean, if you're the either the recipient or the person copied in? Well, I think it really depends on the setting 
for the communication. So sometimes if you're in the middle of a legal case, you need to respond and just say, you know, uh, I received your email. Um, I hear your point of view. I just want you to know my point of view was quite different. And if we need to discuss this further, please give me a call. So that they're on record for saying they don't agree. Because sometimes it looks like you agree if you don't respond. And that's, I've seen a lot of emails show up in in family court, for example, and it can imply things. But you also want to be the person who looks reasonable, the person whose tone of voice, tone in writing looks uh, respectful and reasonable. And that's what BIF responses give you the chance to do. So should the other person ever respond, the person that's copied in or persons? I think in most cases, don't respond, don't don't give energy to the dispute and to the person who's in many ways inappropriately trying to draw other people in. So I would think your silence is helpful uh, that no one got hooked um, by it. But in rare occasions, it may be beneficial, uh, but then respond with a BIF response. And some people respond and say, uh, hey, Joe, hey, Jane, I was copied into this correspondence, and I really prefer that you not copy me in the future, something like that. Yeah, so a good setting limits. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, without having to, and, and that's about as Biff as you get, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Right. So all, re, all roads lead to Biff. Excellent. Okay. Well, great discussion, Bill. Thanks for all of that. And I hope it's been helpful to you, our listeners, as you navigate any great dividers. Um, and, you know, thanks so much for listening to our podcast. Remember, never tell someone that you think they're a narcissist uh, or a high-conflict person or have a high-conflict personality. It just doesn't go well for anyone, and it doesn't, uh, it doesn't serve any purpose except to, you know, feed the flame. So don't diagnose, don't label, just focus on what to do and on taking care of yourself. In next week's episode, we'll talk about whether personality disorders are a form of mental illness. There's a lot of debate um, about whether this is uh, true or not, um, and how mental health professionals and legal professionals may answer this question differently. So you'll want to tune in to hear that. And uh, as always, send your questions to podcast at highconflictinstitute.com or submit them to highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening and give us a rate or review if you're inclined. Until next week, have a great week and keep learning about high conflict behavior so you can manage it in your life and keep striving toward the missing piece. It's All Your Fault is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by Wolf Samuels, John Coggins, and Ziv Moran. Find the show, show notes, and transcripts at truestory.fm or highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. Our show.